everyone out there in Geek Vibes Nation, this is your pal Dane, another enticing, wonderful episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance here on Geek Vibes, the uh, blog talk radio thing. But anyways, we have another wonderful episode, uh, pay-per-view to go over, you know, Raw Smackdown, a bunch of wrestling, but we also have, of course, my co-host, Mr. Christopher Ray Patton. How are you doing this evening, good sir? Good, man. How about you? How's it going? I feel like, by the way I'm talking and my brain's working at the same time, the, the coffee's like kicking in, but it's not working fully, so it's like they're fighting against each other. It should be a lot of fun for this show. Yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Hopefully I'm not the drizzling shits. Anyways, out there in Geek Vibes Nation, if you guys want to uh, join our conversation and call and not be an asshole... God dang, we keep on getting some trolls. Uh, call in at 929-477-3781. You'll be listening at that point, press 1, and you will join us in the conversation. Uh, like I said, we're going to be going over Extreme Rolls Raw, SmackDown, and then we're going we're gonna to go back and forth with some uh, 80s, um, 80s versus 90s fantasy booking between me and Chris, just to, you know, because we're dorks. And, uh, oh, yeah, that's all. That, that's the only reason I have for you is Macho Man, and that should be enough for you. So anyways, let's get to Extreme Rules. Chris, this was actually, let me just go into things. I think that both of us would probably feel there's, there's one weak spot, maybe two, but this was a pretty damn good pay-per-view. Uh, do, do you agree with me? Uh, overall, yeah. I thought it was uh, very enjoyable, especially considering it's not one of the major pay-per-views. I mean, it was obviously carried by a couple of big matches, but... Uh, it was a good pay-per-view overall. I, I did enjoy it. Yeah, I even thought the uh, pre-show or yeah, the pre-show match uh, was good. And let's actually go over that match. Uh, kickoff match happened uh, before the actual event on the pre-show. Kalisto went against Apollo Cruz. Uh, the whole Titus brand keeps on getting bigger and bigger, or he's trying at least. Uh, but it was going back and forth. Uh, the match was great. Uh, Apollo Cruz did a a backflip. Thing in the jigger, I don't know what it's called exactly, but uh, you know, just on his feet, which was amazing. Seeing this guy do that type of stuff. Of course, Titus got to screw things up. Titus O'Neil got on the apron to argue with Cruz. Kalisto walked up, Titus smacked him, and then hit the Saldana del Sol on Cruz with a pinfall victory. I thought this was a really good match. I like that they're keeping Kalisto uh, relevant. I like Apollo Cruz, and I like what they're doing with Titus. I just don't know if they know where they're going with it. I'm, I'm assuming they kind of don't, and they're just playing it by ear, which I would not recommend. But how did you feel about the pre-show match, Chris? You know, I thought it was a pretty good match. I just hope that they don't keep treading the same water with uh, with Kalisto. Maybe they can, you know, put another guy in there and do a similar spot. Um, it, I, I hope it's leading to an Apollo Crews heel turn at some point, or at least those two turning against each other, though I'm not really looking forward to an Apollo Crews Titus O'Neil match, but uh, it, it was okay for a pre-show match. I thought it was it was decent. They actually gave them a little bit of time to work in the ring, so that was that was great. Uh, these pre-shows are just brutal to get through, man. So I think I caught this match when it was already like two or three minutes in progress because I was flipping back and forth uh, on and off the pre-show. Just because I mean, it's just it's literally just everything you see on SmackDown and Raw in video packages. It's like what they used to play before the pay-per-views, like if you flip to the channel and you didn't buy the pay-per-view, but they would still play the previews for it. It's like exactly that. 
So I don't know if they just have the same guy working or not. I don't understand why they can't put more matches on the pre-show or, or do like a talking Raw or talking Smack more type deal with actual wrestling characters more often. I think that would be more entertaining. But the match itself was pretty good. Um, and I like the angle that they're doing with Apollo Crews and Titus O'Neil and the, the Titus brand, but I don't know where it's going. So it's, I'm kind of in the same boat as you as far as how I felt about it. Yeah, well, we, we hope that it's going where Titus becomes, he's making money in corporate, basically, and he's doing a Ted DiBiase, and, you know, Apollo's his young Virgil, and then Virgil's going to screw him over, but he's actually going to be a good wrestler when he does it. Uh, oh, man, that was kind of brutal, but that's all right. Anyways, uh, I agree with you, though. Uh, the pre-show, they could put more matches, uh, you know, instead of having to listen to uh, David Otonga, who's not joining the comedy crew yet. They're keeping Booker T. find it a little bit weird. I know he's doing a movie, but apparently he's going to be out until August. So I didn't know the movie was doing that whole entire thing that long. But, uh, yeah, I, all I'm trying to say is, like, hearing him talk with Renee Young and the weird-looking uh, dude with the red curly hair. Uh, I don't know what the hell that thing is. But um, it seems unnecessary for them just to, like, go over stuff when we could have a match. I mean, we have problems with this on Raw SmackDown, but they're more segments. At least they're driven towards a storyline. They're just reiterating everything, kind of like we do, but we're not cutting up, you know, a potential wrestling match before a pay-per-view. So I do agree with you completely on that. Let's get to the actual main card. All right, first match, which was a great match, and I love the chemistry between these two guys. The Intercontinental Championship match, The Miz defeated Dean Ambrose, who was the reigning champion. All right, so the stipulation for this match said that if Ambrose was disqualified – he would lose a championship. Miz tried to seal the deal or uh, steal the title by ordering Maurice to slap him, but the referee saw that and ejected her from the place. As she was being ejected, Miz tossed Amb- uh, Ambrose into the referee. The ref did not, I, I guess, realize how that's a common thing that fucking happens and thought that Ambrose did it on purpose and threatened to DQ Ambrose. Uh, during the confusion, he's walking up around the ring, the ref, um, over to, like, call the bell, and during this whole entire thing, the Miz came up, did a roll-up, or no, did a skull-crushing finality to become the seven-time Intercontinental Championship Champion. I thought the match was good. I liked the spots. I liked what they were going for, the story they told. I love that even, like, with the, you know, they took off the, um, the corner part, and Dean Ambrose stopped himself from smacking Miz on that thing. You know, it, it was great that the Miz was trying to set up Dean Ambrose because, Dean Ambrose, I mean, all the way back to his start, he's always been, like, reckless. I mean, that, that, that's how he wrestles and stuff. And I just like the stuff that they do back and forth. A lot of it reminds me kind of, um, you, you'll have to go back to the Royal Rumble, I, want, I believe it's 90, where Ric Flair won. But, like, the reactions that Miz gives Dean Ambrose, I feel is similar to when Ric Flair, when Rowdy Roddy Piper came to the ring. And, like, Rick's like, oh, no, not this crazy asshole. Like, that whole, they're good at playing off each other, and I really enjoyed the match. Uh, how did you like the match, Chris? Uh, I, I I enjoyed it for the most part. I wasn't too keen on where they put some of the DQ or fake DQ spots. Uh, for instance, the smack. I think that probably should have happened, like, right off the bat. It didn't really make sense for Miz to, to drag that out, because that would have been the most obvious way to get Dean disqualified. Um. So that was okay, and I, I guess. And then there was the uh, the turnbuckle spot that you talked about, and I just really can't remember anyone getting disqualified for 
you know, using the turnbuckle. Usually when it gets exposed and the ref sees it, he tries to cover it back up, and then it gets left open, and then someone takes a bump off of it. But they were trying something different, so I don't hate that too much. It, it was a uh, it was a good match, but it was built all around you know the match's gimmick, which we kind of assumed going in. And uh, I thought it was also kind of dumb that the Miz, seeing that Dean was about to get disqualified, hit him with a skull crushing finale, anyways, to get the pin. Because like, what if he would have kicked out? It would have made Miz look really fucking stupid. Uh, yeah, because that doesn't make Miz look guilty as shit. Yeah, so it was kind of a weird, weird situation. But overall, the match was was. I thought it, I thought both guys looked good in the match. It, it was a huge match, and it set up for a pretty cool segment on Raw. So, um, I thought it was I thought it was pretty cool. They mentioned that Dean was currently holding the title longer than anyone in the company, and all I could think to myself is like, yeah, well, you guys switch the fucking title every ten minutes, so that's not surprising. Because he had held it for like 152 days or something, I want to say. 150 days or something like that going into this match. So um, it'll be interesting to see if they leave it on uh, Miz a while and then where they go after, I guess, Ambrose is probably going to get a rematch, I would assume, and then where they go after that with the way the main event currently just dominates Raw as far as how the competition's geared. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Well, it's interesting. You brought up uh, one thing that uh, I completely agree with. Like, you know, uh, basically this is going to keep on building, obviously, from where they're going. But, you know, what are they going to do after this? Like, where is the Intercontinental Championship going forward after The Miz and Dean Ambrose are done feuding with it? They literally travel from SmackDown to Raw to do this. Um, So that's my one concern because you have a lot of big guys – and if Dean Ambrose, apparently uh, there's, you know, the whole rumor that he's going to be going heel soon. Uh, if that's true, who is he getting set up to go heel with? Uh, you know, The Miz obviously is the biggest heel on Raw uh, besides Samoa Joe. Um, maybe on the same level, you know, in a lot of rights. After Monday night, though, I don't know. Samoa Joe's scary. Anyways, uh, another thing that you, you were kind of alluding to that I kind of, this is separate from this, but this whole match represents something that kind of bothers me. I know for a fact it bothers a lot of the older fans. Um, should they bring back and incorporate certain things with the referee or at least treat the referee like they're a real person there more in wrestling? I, I think that doing so kind of gives you more of a belief system with the product itself when your referee is, is calling stuff and it's actually like the, you know, the person playing off Especially the heel. The heel should be kissing the rest's ass and apologizing as soon as he turns his back, doing stuff, not doing it blatantly in front of him. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, even as stupid like uh, Booker T was screwing up, I think, uh, and he was saying about like, oh, you know, Dean Ambrose needs to worry about those open hand um, or those closed hand punches. Those are not allowed. And recently they went over the rules, and actually that's now allowed. Um, you know, climbing on top rope, calling, just, you know, counting and stuff like that. Stuff like that, I think that incorporated or at least if they made it more so that the referee's just not there, you know, incorporating it more in the match, I think that would make the dynamic a hell of a lot stronger. Do you agree with that, or do you understand where they've gone with how they treat the referees lately? I think the WWE needs to settle once and for all what their rules are right now as far as a company goes. And a good way to do that in a way that would might work for someone like The Miz 
is to actually read the rule book in a promo or something and just kind of hit the high marks of it and then get interrupted by That's Babyface. Genius. Um, but, yeah, I think they need to clarify some of that because at me growing up, yeah, you're not allowed to punch someone with a closed fist. And then, like, you'd see Big Show doing, like, his finisher – and that's a closed fist, but technically that sh- he should get reprimanded by the referee. Um, so you get in this weird spot. Now, obviously, they're trying to associate more and more of, uh, I don't want to say strong style, but uh, of the UFC as far as, you know, how they're locking on submission holds or, or how some of their punches look. I mean, I think we saw a couple matches recently where we had, like, mounted punches and elbows. Um in the match itself. So, I mean, I think they just needed to hit the rules and decide what they want to do and then stick with them. That way you don't – I mean, that's not Booker T's fault. The guy wrestled in the NWA and early WCW days, and those were the rules. Like, you can't close hand punch somebody. So, for him to say that, you know, on commentary, I, I don't – I'm not giving him any grief for that because I don't think WWE actually knows what the rules are. They just kind of play it by ear. Um, half the time. They did release an official rule book, and I think it would be hilarious to have someone like The Miz or, or just, you know, maybe even um, an, The Revival or someone bring it up. and Because, like, it's good for the heels to know the rules because then they know how to break them. So for them to go over the rules, they can exploit, you know, the good guys and get those D2 finishes. And you don't have to constantly do run-ins that way. But uh, I don't know. What do you think? about that concept as far as, like, having someone actually read the rules or something on TV? Chris, I actually, I love the idea. I think that's brilliant. I think that if you use that in a gimmick, like a, a some type of storyline, I think that would be great. Like I said, the revival, like, they bring out, here's the WWE official rule book. These are every single rule we're going to break while we're here. And they, like, do a thing where they, they, they count a certain amount every time they come out or some shit like that. Like, that would be hilarious and kind of put everything in stone. And I completely agree with you. If they do that, if they incorporate actual rules and say, this is how it is now, you know, obviously going over the top rope, that doesn't get you disqualified. It's not old school NWA, but like certain things, you got to listen to the referee and we're going to like start giving the referee more power, have it so that if they do it, the referee, you know, a couple times kind of throws, uh, you know, screw someone over, disqualify someone just so it's like known and I would like the ref to get, like, a little more power. I think that is the best way to do it. Because if you're going to – obviously, we all know it's a work and stuff like that. And if you just, you know, found out and I just screwed up Santa Claus for you, I'm sorry. But, you know, I, I think for the audience, if they had this incorporated, it would make it look more realistic. And also, it would just give the referee something to do besides being like, hey, no, 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 don't you do that. No, no, no. Like, yeah, I just it's, – it's pointless. All right, well, let's go over the drizzling shits of the pay-per-view, the next two matches. <sighs> All right, so Sasha Banks and Rick Swan defeated Alicia Fox and Noam Dar. Uh, Swan pinned Dar after a Phoenix splash. There's a cool spot where uh, Sasha Banks did a double knee to a Noam Dar, and if it was Alicia Fox, I think she would have killed her. Uh, but, I mean, I feel bad for Sasha Banks having to do this whole entire thing. I can't wait until I'm assuming they made Bailey look weak so they can bring Sasha back in the mix and then get her to get the title. I have no idea if that's true or not. Shortly after this match, the Drifter performed. Now, most people are probably going to think that this was absolutely horrible, and I completely understand. But for some reason, the Drifter stuff is making me laugh, and they're building him up in a way that, for some reason, I'm buying it. 
But uh, completely can see why you don't like the match, if if, if anyone doesn't like the match. Um, and then, obviously, the... What the fuck was this? The kendo stick on a pole match, Raw Women's Championship. Alexa Bliss defeated Bailey. So Bailey pulled down the kendo stick first, but Bliss was able to use it repeatedly and hit her with the DET to retain the championship. It was basically a squash match. Like, I don't understand uh, the booking of that whole entire thing whatsoever. You know, I always constantly say, it's like, well, I don't get paid the big bucks, but this just seems stupid. If anything, it made Bailey look extremely weak, like to the point where it's like, is she even going to be in the title run anymore? Was that what they were trying to go for, was get her the fuck out of there? And it even made Alexa Bliss look like less important, if you will, for having such a crappy short match, uh, especially building up. This is the only match that had hardcore elements. I mean, I guess the Steel Cage match did to an extent, but besides our friggin', uh, you know, main event. And, I mean, the kendo stick... And then the next, like, on Monday Night Raw, it's like, oh, Bailey, and this is her marks on her back. And it's like, this is so fucking stupid. They have no idea what they're doing with the Raw Women's Division. Uh, anyways, uh, so between Sasha Banks and Rich Swann defeating Alicia Fox, Noam Dar, Drifter's performance, and then this kendo stick on a pole match, uh, what did you think about all three of those segments, Chris? All right, so uh, Swan, I, it's it, the one thing I'll say about Swan is I think he might be one of the only people to win in his hometown in the past like four or five years. So good on him because <laughs> he's from Baltimore. Him and Naomi. <laughs> yeah, him and Naomi. That's true. And then um, the match itself was like it seems super. It was super short, right? This match wasn't very long. Um, I I worry that like Sasha Banks is going to tear her knee or something doing that double knee spot off the top rope. I think that she could, if she Agreed. she could do something, something easier. Like a, what was what was it the Ray did? It was like a sit out senton or whatever. It was like he called it like the West Coast pop. Instead of doing like the double knees, yeah. maybe she could do something like that. I mean, it's a similar spot, but it, it it's a lot safer. Um, as far as like an in ring work thing goes, uh, Rich, uh, Rich Swan looked good in the match, and I I mean I guess this gave Rich Rich Swan a rub from Sasha because she's still pretty over. Um, I think I Wade Keller <laughs> Wade Keller said earlier this week, like when they were dancing after the match, that uh, Sasha Banks looked like the only sober person at a wedding trying to dance or something like that. <laughs> it was so hearted. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty damn funny. Uh, the Elias Samson oh, thing, man. I like that not even the heel, like the fans that usually root for heels are rooting for Elias Samson. This dude is getting booed straight out of the building. I don't know what they're going to do to do with him or where it's leading, but at least he's getting some heel heat with this, uh, this singing in the ring gimmick well, and basically just Chris, insulting the city. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it's heel heat or do you think it's that Xbox heat? Like, do they hate him and want him to get the hell out of here or do they hate him because he's being a good heel? I think they hate him because he's being a good heel because it's not like he, you know, everyone knows his gimmick is to play guitar and sing. So, I mean, he's playing his gimmick. Horrible. It's not like they, yeah. just, not like they just fucking hate the guy. You know what I mean? So, it's it's more like, someone please come kick this guy's ass. Like, I feel like whoever they get to kick his ass <laughs> will get, like, a huge, huge pop from it. Probably well, Gene Ambrose usually collects on that. Yeah, probably Gene would be the one to collect on this goof. 
Um, and then I guess the kendo stick on a pole match. Uh, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen uh, a female wrestler get get go from like being the champion to losing cleanly so many times since like Paige when she was dating Alberto Del Rio in the WWE and they weren't very happy about it. So I don't know if she did something to piss people off or if they just don't like her or don't like where gimmicks at right now or if they're going to try to repackage her or what. But, I mean, they're moving right along with this Nia Jax story. And then she was all raw. And like you said, she had, like, two kendo stick marks on her back. And it's just hard to believe that for someone that loves wrestling so much, and that's part of their gimmick, that that's why they would be out um, or off raw. It would have been better if they just didn't even acknowledge it like they did Finn Balor. Like, Finn Balor was out, and they didn't say anything about him being out. Uh, but, like, with Bailey, they were like, oh, she's out because of the kendo sticks. And it's like, you know, didn't they, didn't Braun Strowman kill Roman Reigns and he came back, like, three weeks later? <laughs> like, What about Sami Zayn? Jesus. <laughs> he gets a concussion every time he goes in. I, I mean, I guess no one in WWE that, like, the people who write Raw and SmackDown, they don't look at NXT where, like, if you get hurt, you're out from it. Like when Nakamura was hurt and it was like a fake injury angle, he was out for like a month. So if you're going to do something like that, make the beat down look good. And I still think that they could have, if they wanted to do a kendo match, like a kendo stick match, they could have just pulled one right off their network and done the, the Tommy Dreamer Sandman match in which Tommy Dreamer lost to Sandman. And because he lost, Sandman got to Kanan and he gave him like a real beating now, granted, they don't have to take it, like, ECW level of violence. They could have done something and made that beatdown look more believable and maybe gave the fans a reason to like Bailey a little bit more. I mean, it did work before. You can, like, pull from the past and get good ideas. Any pole match is going to be terrible because they have to wrestle around one spot of the ring. So the entire action is going to be focused on one spot in the ring. So from the wrestling standpoint, I kind of knew going in it wasn't going to be that good. Also, the concept of, like, a weapon on a pole, you know both people are going to get to use it. It's not like you, you, you grab it and you win the match, and that's the end of the match. It's like, well, now it's just in the ring, and anyone can use it. So, like, those matches in general I just hate, but uh, that, ma- that match was probably the worst WWE match I've seen this year. Yeah, it was just short, and it was just awful. Um I thought about, I actually pondered myself because I was so bored with the match. I started thinking, hmm, I wonder what the difference between a kendo stick and a Singapore cane is. And that's where my mind went. And then the match was fucking over. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, that was cool. I'm glad that Bailey probably had her arguably strongest promo right beforehand. It was just for shit. Mentioning Wonder Woman, saying that she was watching Legends on a network like Tommy Dreamer. And it was, I, I don't know what the hell they're doing. I hope they do repackage her, and I hope she comes back. I do like Bailey to an extent. I just think that this gimmick that she has right now, it might have worked for NXT. It's not working for this. Uh, so tone back some of the. Um, it's funny because that type of concept works for the New Day, but for Bailey, it's not working out so well. Kind of strange, but I guess the way that they do it, it's kind of like, um, you know, uh, just a different breed, if you will. Um, man, well, I'm trying to remember that stupid the Cartoon the Network the show. Uh, well, the thing almost, with the New Day is. I was just going to say the thing with the New Day is, is they got clean wins in big, important situations. And, and the wins that Bailey got, they didn't seem to matter as much. Even though she won the title, they focused that entire thing around Sasha Banks and not Bailey. So 
you know, she hasn't really proven herself on the main roster, and not everyone who watches Raw and SmackDown watch NXT. So a lot of people don't know who she is. I mean, I think they like the the yeah. wavy inflatable arm people and all that stuff, but at some point, like, she's not as good on the mic as Xavier Woods or Kofi or, no. or you know, Big E and well, those guys together. I'm just she talking doesn't about, even have basketball back on. <clears throat> I'm just talking about specifically the gimmick itself. It's like they both have this cartoony rainbows and fucking happiness and smiley faces, but Bailey's is like old school My Little Ponies, and they're more like Adventure Time, you know, so I guess it's a different dynamic, and they can kind of play that out. She's just not working. It's It's not... I don't think a believable gimmick uh, for the main stage. And uh, like I, you know, like kind of we were alluding to, I just hope that they're kind of like taking this time to maybe repackage her and bring her out and make her a little more aggressive. That would be fun to see because her in ring work is not bad, especially when she, when she puts the, the dial to nine, she doesn't, I don't think she really goes to 10, but when she gets to nine, she can do a damn good job inside the ring and look pretty damn fierce. So let's see, let's get to the uh, next match. Probably my second favorite match of the night. Uh, it was a steel cage match for the Raw Tag Team Championship. The Hardy Boys actually were defeated by Cesaro and Sheamus. All right. So this match was pretty much a great match going on inside the ring with little to no strategy but fun spots while the commentary was shitting on the freaking performers in the ring the whole entire damn time, which was probably the most annoying thing because the commentary kept on saying that what they need to do is quit trying to go one at a time because the other person's going to be screwed and stuck by themselves in the ring, and they need to try to go all at once. And they kept on saying this over and over again. And, yeah, it ended up playing out in the match, but it just kind of, like, lost its, I don't know, its it could have had a lot more impact if we just naturally saw that happen, and they brought it up kind of towards them, like, oh, they made a bad decision Jeff Hardy shouldn't have left the ring. Now he's going to have to come and help his brother. You know, something like that, instead of just hammering us with it right at the beginning of it, making the the, the performers look stupid. Uh, but the match was strong hitting. They did some crazy stuff. God, Jeff Hardy uh, took, what was it? Um, Sheamus' move with Cesaro holding him and cradling him to make sure he doesn't get hurt off the top ropes. We had a whisper in the wind off the top of the cage from Jeff Hardy. Of course that had to happen. Uh, and right after Jeff left, he had to come back in. So that's what he did basically to come back and help his brother out. And for some reason, Jeff couldn't move that well compared to Matt. So it was a race between Sheamus and Cesaro going up the cage, um, after getting the shit knocked out of him and two Hardy boys getting out the door, Sheamus and Cesaro end up winning. The Hardys lost. How'd you like the match, Chris? And do you think... After this match, there's going to be resentment from Matt to Jeff because of this loss. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think they're going there yet. Because, I mean, they're going to have a rematch, you would think. So I would assume that they're going to have at least one more match until they can get the Revival back to inject them in. Especially since they just basically buried Anderson Gallows. Um, So the only other tag team to go against Cesaro and... (sighs) Uh, Seamus right now is the Hardy Boys, so I think you're going to get at least one more match. And whether they win the titles back or not, that's probably a different story. I don't think it's time to break them up yet because they don't have the rights to their broken gimmick, and that's probably where they want to go with it. Uh, the match itself, I thought, I, I felt the same way he did. I think they they buried it on commentary. This is a, this would have been the perfect spot to get 
JR to do a guest announcing job, in my opinion, because I think he could have he could have helped out with his commentary a lot, or at least made all the performers in the match look not look like idiots. Because at some point, it's like, well, what's the point of even getting out of the ring? Um, I hope that they don't keep this as a uh, like gimmick for more of these in in the future. Because the match was just really hindered by how you had to win it. Because, I mean, it hindered the finish. You knew, you knew one of the teams was going to get left a man down because they basically told you that before the match ever begin, began. So I think, yeah, the, the commentary really hurt the match. There were some cool spots. Uh, Jeff Hardy doing the whisper in the wind off the top of the cage was kind of cool. I expected the Swanton bomb. He, he pulled the wool over all of our eyes, so that was cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I liked the match. I think it was the second-best match on the show. It, it could have been better, but the commentary definitely hurt it. I completely, completely agree. You know, the thing about the the broken hole, the the broken thing, you being a fan of that, if they were to try to say screw it and just kind of like, I don't know, say damage Matt Hardy or come up with some other concept and just not use the exact words from the same thing and just rebuild it for WWE, would that work, or do you think it would be completely like scrapped down from the fans? Um. You know, I think the worry would be that WWE wouldn't do it because they'd be afraid of, like, uh, implications, the the backlash that would happen from it. I mean, Sinclair Broadcasting, I, wait, it's not Sinclair that owns TNA. Uh, God, what's the owl? Whatever the owl, maybe, maybe it is Sinclair. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. Whatever the owl is, I mean, they're a pretty big broadcasting company. They have a lot of power behind them, so they could be someone that could take WWE to court if they wanted to and make that really nasty. So I think they're going to steer clear of it as much as they can. Uh, so even doing something like damage, where it's like a clear cut knockoff version, you get into that situation uh, similar to what WCW did with Renegade, where you have like this weird infringement type deal, uh, where they're like, oh, we developed that character, or you know, you, you get into where shit's getting thrown over the wall between two companies and. I think WCW, or not WCW, but WWF or WWE doesn't see TNA as, as a threat at all. And, I mean, it's not like the Hardy Boys aren't over without that gimmick. I think they would like to have it because they know what the potential of that is and the merchandise sales and everything that they can get out of it. But I don't know that they're going to, you know, push the limits and try to get you like a half version or a watered-down version of that. If they're going to do it, they're going to do it. It's not going to be like it was on impact because you're not going to get that much of a creative control from the Hardys in general but uh, I don't I don't know that we'll we may never see it which would be very unfortunate but you know Jeff Hardy's good enough alone and they, the, the thing that sucks is that was like Matt's breakout so yep. it, Jeff Hardy's always been over Matt Hardy's kind of always been the little brother or the big brother who was kind of like kind of like Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Carrie Earnhardt you know what I mean? Like, not, not many people knew who Kerry Earnhardt was, but they knew who, you know, Dale Earnhardt was. Dale Earnhardt Jr., they knew who that is. So it's kind of like one of those scenarios where you, it, he was in the shadow for a long time. You built that gimmick, and now you, you can't even have it, which sucks. So I, I don't know what, where they're going with that. I don't know. They, I mean, uh, I mean, they could do a similar concept so he can kind of be that character, but, you know, you're right, it's it's – it's getting very close to them having to mess with impact and that whole legality issue. So who knows? Uh, let's hope that it gets worked out regardless. Uh, second to last match, 
submission match for the Cruiserweight Championship. Neville defeated Austin Aries. Uh, I wouldn't... Uh, that, this pissed me off. All right, Aries made Neville tap out with the last chancery on the floor, but it didn't count. Yeah, what the fuck would it count? Uh, Neville was able to hit Renero to Aries back and lock the rings of Saturn to get the submission victory. That was a really, really cool sequence that he did that in. Um, I... I really don't understand what the hell the point of that was. What are they going to do with Austin Aries now? So, I mean, and wh- why did he think that because it's a submission match, you can drag him outside and make him tap after, you know, get away from the ropes? That doesn't make any sense. There's like a lot of question marks in this match. These guys are always fun to watch, but I thought it was kind of a waste of their storyline uh, that they've been building because now he has to transfer to TJ. Uh, well, actually, I didn't watch last night, so I don't know how that worked out. But um, I don't know. I thought this was kind of stupid. It was a good match, like the performance, of course, between the two of them. Actually, I will say that this probably might have been one of their worst matches between the two of them. They had a little, two, couple spots that were a little uh, off. But, you know, I mean, these guys are still crazy. So, yeah, Chris, how did you feel about the submission match? For the Cruiserweight champion. Very, uh, very similar to the same as you. Uh, I understand why he would hook the last chancery on the floor. It, it made sense to me as far as, like, why he would do it, because he's just inflicting more punishment. Now, what didn't make sense is the ref came out and broke up the move and did a count. I think he was, like, trying to count them out at one point. And it's like the only way to win this match is by submission. It, it's not the only way Austin Aries can win the match is by submission. It wasn't that you could be disqualified. It was that the only way to win the match is by submission, which I took as the same kind of rules as, like, an I quit match. You know, like, you have to tap out. So anything that happened outside of the ring, in my opinion, should have been fair game. Um, and I kind of thought that's what they were going to go with since it was extreme rules. So I was just kind of I – was, I was fused by the ending of the match. Uh, but the match itself, I thought, you know, these guys are always good in the ring together. I, I think that they uh, – got a little bit limited once again by the stipulation of this match. This, that's what's always weird about this pay-per-view because it's either going to give you like a really good match, like the main event, which I thought the no DQ stipulation worked really well there uh, for what they were trying to do versus this, where it's like these guys could have just had a normal ass match and it would have been, it probably would have been great without, without all this, even if you wanted to keep Neville over, there's still other ways to do it. Uh, especially because they had been working that knee for so long going into the match. And then he didn't even like win using, <laughs> he didn't even win taking out the knee. So it's like, they just wasted like two weeks of build for the match and hurting, you know, Aries, knee and uh, which I'm kind of glad they didn't go that route because I'm just getting tired of seeing everyone selling the knee and WWE. That seems to be a, a common theme on raw at least. Was that a Seth Rollins reference? Oh yeah, Definitely. It's okay. it's okay. You can put giant pillows, uh, you know, over your knees, and it'll just protect them. Um, anyways, let's get to the last match that featured Mr. Seth Rollins. Um, do you know that they're, they're, he's thinking about changing his theme music, or he wants to? I'm like, dude, you have like such a badass theme music. I wouldn't fuck with that, but that's just me. That's why I played it today. Now, I want to hear this because there's a hell of a lot. At least, I mean, at least you have theme music. Roman Reigns has had the fucking Shield music. This whole entire time, no one's tapped him on the shoulder saying, hey, man, you can change the way you dress and pick a different song. You know, you're not in the shield anymore. But whatever. That's uh, yeah, time for another time. What I will say is that the five, Fatal Five Way 
to find out who will be the number one contender to go against Brock Lesnar at Great Balls of Fire. Ah, Jesus. Um, between Samoa Joe, Finn Balor, Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, Bray Wyatt. All the guys came out. There was awesome part where Seth Rollins, of course, went right after Samoa Joe, and you had Finn Balor and, whatchamacallit, Bray Wyatt going out there. And Roman's not doing anything. He's just watching these guys beat the crap out of each other, roll to the out of the, you know, to the uh, outside, and then one by one they all come in try to take out Roman. He's like, no, this is my grab. This is like one of the. I, I'm becoming a Roman Reigns fan, and I'm very. Uh, it's it's weird. Uh, I think the way they're doing it is finally right. I don't even know if they did anything different, or if he's just figuring it out and kind of like it's working. Um, Look, you can say, oh, yeah, well, everyone boos him. He gets a reaction. He gets a hell of a lot more of a reaction than half the fucking heels and baby faces on the program. So if, if people are screaming, let's go Roman, Roman sucks, or trying to throw, throw in Rollins over Roman, and people are just arguing, it's, it's making him get bigger uh, in the, uh, the concept of things. So, yeah, he took out all of them. And then Samojo and uh, Bray Wyatt decided to work together. They started taking out everyone. Uh, there's this great spot. Finn Balor came back, and he just went ape shit after everyone. Cleared the fucking ring. Uh, went outside, did his, like, you know, his little um, drop kick into the turnbuckle on the outside. Then uh, Roman Reigns completely spears the shit out of him and Samoa Joe through the barricade. While this is happening, Rollins is going to the top ropes to go through Bray Wyatt, through the announce table. I mean, uh, Balor came in at the end of it to go after Roman Reigns. He hit the coup de gras, but Joe pulled him away from the pinfall, got him the Kalina clutch. Balor passed out in the hold, giving Joe the win. Samoa Joe will face Brock Lesnar at Great Balls of Fire for the Universal Champion. Hell yes. Everyone looks strong as shit. Everyone had their time to shine. Even Finn Balor, who I think can take a, a, a lose, really, he lost in the best way possible. When you're not willing to go down and the person has to take you out, that still makes you look like a fucking hard ass. So I don't think anyone has – I mean, this match was just great. They had to have worked on it for a while. Uh, how did you like it, Chris? Uh, I, I liked it a lot. This is probably, I, to me, the second best match that WWE programming has had this year, Falling right, falling right behind uh, Dunn and, and Bates, which we talked about last week in heavy detail. Uh, all, all of the spots, all the big spots were cool. I, I really enjoyed uh, Samoa Joe and Bray working together and kind of telling that story. Uh, I thought Bray got some really cool offense in. He had the uh, spike DDT on the uh, on the stairs with a reference to Jake the Snake Roberts. You had the giant spear from Roman Reigns, which even if everyone hates him, they still pop for, for that. <laughs> they all popped when he speared those people yep. through the through the barricade. He had the Superman punch spots. Uh, Seth hit the big, like a giant um, frog splash through that table, which looked awesome. Uh, and then and then Joe, since that's who they're going with, he, they're really selling this coquina clutch. So, he, I mean, he choked out Balor. And Balor did a really good job of looking like he was actually out like a light. So, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great match um, from beginning to end. It's it's going to be hard to top that at the next pay-per-view with, with Joe and Lesnar being in the main event. But we'll be able to talk about that as, as we come closer to it, I guess. But 
Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed this match. The only thing coming out of it is, like, where, where each of these people are going to fall. Um, and we'll talk about that here in a bit when we get to Raw. Well, I guess we're going into Raw, so I might as well just kind of talk about it a bit. But it's like they have Bray kind of just messing with everyone as opposed to Bray picking one person who slighted him in this match or having one reason that he's pissed off at one person, which was kind of weird. Because I think that the whole the beginning segment is Reigns and Bray coming into Raw um, off the pay-per-view. So that's uh, that was a little weird to me, but like, we'll see where it goes. I'm, I The main event on Raw right now has probably got the most talent it's had in a long time. The problem with the show is there's nothing in between. It's just all of these top guys, and then there's no – I mean, you don't have, like, any, any kind of mid-carters, really. Um, I mean, you got the Miz – who really should be elevated higher, but he's there. And then it's just him and Dean Ambrose. And then Dean Ambrose, eventually, he's going to be, I would assume that he's going to be stepping up into the main event again. I, I doubt that they would leave him down there to feed with the Miz for forever. So it's just that that whole, it's, it's just weird where they're at. And the tag division is kind of depleted uh, with what they're doing with Cass and Enzo. And Heath Slater and Rhino just took a terrible loss. You also had... Um, Anderson and Gallows losing clean. So the only tag team you have is the Revival, the Hardys, and uh, Sheamus and Cesaro. So their whole entire middle section of Raw is just depleted at the moment. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to say it. I mean, we've talked about this, and it's kind of has been said many times. I mean, unless they're able to figure out this year, this should probably be their last year for this whole entire brand split. Um. I, I don't think they have necessarily, when it comes to the mid-carders, when it comes to the women's division and the tag division, enough talent to be able to, you know, have a split between them. And it's funny because they end up not doing enough during the fucking, you know, uh, course of things to be able to incorporate everyone. But I feel like if there was just if there was just one brand and people could have matches mid-card-wise, it was all Raw SmackDown were just follow-up shows, they could... You could have, like, cruiserweights thrown in there everywhere. You could have, like, a couple female matches between the two shows. Now you have, what, three hours for Raw, two hours for SmackDown, five hours to play around with, get rid of 205 Live, start building the British thing, uh, you know, and incorporate all of your talent. You have too many. Yeah, you're going to have to eat it and say, all right, well, I guess that, you know, we don't have reason for these other tag team championships. Here's an idea, just saying out of a concept, and also your extra woman's title, just condense them, or with the tag team titles, shit, you're doing this whole entire woman's thing, get some more women wrestlers in there, maybe start a women's tag division, who knows? I mean, if you got to correct, if you said two years, like, all right, we tried this, we're going we're gonna to go back to how things are normal, I don't think it's a bad thing, it's not like they've never fucking done that before. Um, I just think that it's, they're not, they don't have... They don't have enough guys to be able to support that. And if you want to do it where, you know, the universal title is like a title that's above that, but we're just going to give that to the guy that doesn't want to fucking come in all the time and make him feel special, but the one with longevity, the actual world heavyweight title that actually has like a history to it, that's going to be your main title. I don't really care if they do that. I liked your idea, though, where there was like a light – I don't remember exactly what you said. I'm about to pass it back to you, but like um, a light heavyweight title or something like that. But uh, do you agree that – this the brand split's really not working. Vince's whole concept of trying to create, you know, um, 
competition, like the Monday Night Wars, if you will, between these two leading brands just makes one of them look weak and they don't have enough competition to be able to suit both of them, Chris? One of the things that's weird about WWE is they've had, they have currently they have more talent, uh, a more talented roster than they've had in, in years um, from top to bottom. But the thing about the brand split is the way that they've, you know, booked Sami Zayn and some of these other guys, they're not, I don't think they're seen as main eventers. So you have SmackDown who has Orton, Kevin Owens, I guess Nakamura to some extent, and uh, AJ Styles, and that's the entire top of their card. And Kevin Owens has the U.S. title, which is your mid-card title. So it's it's stacked in opposite ways. It's like you have some of these guys that are, are kind of mid-card guys all over on SmackDown or people that should be mid-card guys right now, like Baron Corbin or Dolph Ziggler, who are thrusted into this Money in the Bank match, which is your main event match um, for Money in the Bank. I mean, you're going to have the title match, which is just a rematch between, you know, gender and uh, Orton. I don't really know where to throw gender because he's not – I don't think he's a main eventer. I mean, he has the title, so he's in the main event picture, and he's, you know, obviously what they're building around. But I think that hurts them a lot. Now, as far as what I, – I agree with you as far as the brand split goes. If you're going to do it, you have to make sure that your talent's balanced. So when they did the shakeup, I think that hurt them in a lot of ways more than it helped them. And, uh, of course, John Cena not being on SmackDown hurts a lot as well. Uh, it, when he comes back, maybe maybe that will even things out and kind of shift the balance. But right now, it's – I mean, the the true main event star on SmackDown – it's probably AJ Styles and then followed by Orton. And then on Raw, you just have, like, all of these guys who are built as superstars or have been built as superstars, and they just all had a match against each other. So it's kind of a we- it's kind of weird. Like, um, there should always be two to three people going for that title constantly or trying to get to that title or having number one contenders matches and making your heavyweight titles look important or your universal title look important or whatever you want to call it. Uh, my concept was ending the brand split instead of doing a cruiserweight title and a U.S. title, having a light heavyweight title and putting like a 225-pound limit on it, similar to what you do in New Japan, uh, having the intercontinental title still, having your tag titles, and then having your heavyweight titles. And just because you're a uh, lightweight doesn't mean you can't necessarily contend for the heavyweight title. Uh, it's it's just the op- it's just opposite if you're you know Roman Reigns you obviously can't go win the light heavyweight title, uh, for instance, or Samoa Joe. Like, make it make sense, and then you can add in cruiserweights, because I think I think some of the cruiserweights can work some really good matches with these bigger dudes. Like Austin Aries um, versus Finn Balor, for instance. They're very similar in stature and size, and that would be an amazing be awesome. match. I think, they, I think they miss out. Um, they miss out on a lot of stuff that, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to constantly just talk about New Japan, but they miss out on a lot of those concepts that New Japan still have in place that really work well. Um, and they know how to shift guys when they need to, uh, from super juniors to, you know, going, going up for different other titles and moving that stuff around and really developing those divisions so that it's a big deal if you're the light heavyweight champion. You know, it, I mean, like in UFC, your light had like some of the most, a lot of the times the, your lightweight heavyweights are, are, are bigger draws, like Conor McGregor, for instance. 
So, I mean, it's just it's all about how you build it. If you make the matches look big, um, similar to what they did with the women's title on Raw with Charlotte and Sasha, it's going to help the division. So if the division of light heavyweights are all going after one thing, you got these cruiserweight guys, they're all in the same weight. You can move some of these other guys that are smaller around. Um, I think Seth Rollins falls into that 225 class. Uh, when you really start thinking about it and you're like, well, it's a 225 weight class, not a 205 weight class, there's a lot of stuff you can do there. And then you still have the Intercontinental title, which is you know, prestigious because it's prestigious from a WWE standard, and it should be built back up, and that should be a huge deal. Um, and then also, I think you know, if you're just looking for fodder matches, it's a good way to show off uh, NXT in NXT matches if you if you wanted to do that or maybe just incorporate some NXT stars to get some surprise wins or um over your competition on the on, on your pre-shows and stuff for pay-per-views. But that was my idea for it if they decide to get rid of the brand split. I think the brand split hurts them more than it helps them a lot of times. The idea of building two brands is basically like saying we don't want you to watch all of our products. We want you to pick one show and watch the people that you like on that one show. So like big wrestling fans who are huge indie darling fans, or maybe they're just huge ring of honor fans and they came over because they know Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are wrestling and, and AJ Styles is there. Then maybe they're only interested in SmackDown. I think it, you know, overall it hurts more than it helps, but you know, I, I don't know what their numbers look like without a brand split versus with the brand split. Um, that's true. How that stuff all shakes out. I mean, I know there's a lot, I mean, they definitely probably have a lab of guys that sit and look at their ratings hour per, per hour per wrestler and who's out there and, and how that stuff all equates. But uh, it's just one of the things where it's like from a wrestling perspective, I think there's a lot better ways to handle it other than just saying these guys are over here now and these guys are over here now. And they don't really ever wrestle each other except for Survivor Series. So you listen, you miss out on some really cool matchups like Samoa Joe versus AJ Styles, who have had amazing matches in the past. Incredible. And it's like you're wait you're waiting around for the next draft to see where people are going to get shifted. But like if you're AJ Styles and you're 40 years old, like how much does he have left in the tank? How much does John Cena have left in the tank? You can't wait a full year to move Samoa these guys Joe. around. Some of some of these guys might not be there, so you got to get the most out of them while you can. So while you're, you, know, you can constantly be building big matches as opposed to having this. Now, is it going to convolute things with the way they have their their current titles, with the U.S. title, Intercontinental title, tag title, and a heavyweight title? Uh, possibly, and that's where I think like something like a light heavyweight title can shake that up, and you build the importance of that. Maybe even do a tournament on a pay per view as opposed to. Uh, like doing like a WrestleMania, oh, like when they did the WrestleMania tournament or something like that, or what they've done with the UK tournament. King of the Ring. I mean, there's there's really cool ass things that you can do to make that work as opposed to just doing a brand split. I feel like every time they get their talent back up, they think they need to do this brand split, and it to me it's never worked. And like I looked back when they first announced doing the brand split, it's actually on my timeline. I was like, well, this is going to be awful, and I still kind of feel that way. So. uh yeah, I mean, I hope I made some some valid points. I, I mean, I know there's going to be people that disagree with that. It's just how people feel. But to me, it's, you know, if you have that much talent, use them against each other. There's all the time in New Japan you have three versus three matches that mean a lot, that are important, because everyone in the match has been built up to some extent. You know, so it's 
it's just weird the the mindset sometimes in WWE. I'm not going to say it's wrong, like I said, because I don't know what those numbers look like. I could be completely fucking off base, and maybe when it's combined, it's shit, and maybe when it's separated, they do a lot better. I have no idea, but I know from a wrestling fan perspective and someone that's watched wrestling for a long-ass time, it doesn't really make sense to me when you have that much talent to separate them out and miss out on, like, highlight real-ass matches, like five-star matches. Because I think people will would rather see a five-star match than, you know, a brand split. But, you know, it is what it is. Well, I like what you said about the New Japan thing because, yeah, it's like, you know, people could say, like, we, we keep on bringing that up, we keep on bringing it up. The reason why, you know, we bring it up, fans bring it up, that know that product, David Metcher brings it up. Um, the reason why that's constantly said is because they have a great product over there. I mean, when you're incorporating uh, a hell of a lot more with MMA and the referee has more to do with the match and, you know, you're not doing so many, I don't know, uh, it's a hell of a lot more natural, basically, over there. If you were to have the entertainment value, and, and the only reason I say this is because New Japan, one of the big hinders for me is I can't understand the language, so I don't get the full impact of their promos and stuff like that because I'm reading it while they're talking. So it's a little bit of a pain in the ass. But if, if, I think arguably any fan would say like the most when it comes to uh, performance, entertainment, that's WWE. And I think that when it comes to actual uh, match, you know, making them look like an actual match and not just something for entertainment, the reason why I think Enzo Moore is uh, so fucking popular, you would have a perfect thing if you incorporated both concepts into one. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think that you're wrong in that. I think that comparing the in-ring work with New Japan, they could take a lot from just doing certain things from New Japan. Um, and uh, new talent coming in is something that, you know, worries me too is because we just went over it. They have – they don't have enough – talent, or they have too much talent, but they don't have enough to be able to fill in these things, and we always talk about, like, what if Jay Lethal came in here? What if, uh, you know, Ricochet came through here? Where the hell would they put him? That's the whole thing. You know, if they get Adam Cole, baby, where the hell are they going to put Adam Cole? I mean, obviously, they're going to go to NXT, probably, start off there, or maybe someone like Jay Lethal has been in the game long enough would have an AJ Styles type of thing. Who knows? But, you know, do they have room for anyone? And, like you said, the fact that Cruiserweights only go against cruiserweights. You know, you, you don't see anyone besides Kalisto, basically, who can, for some reason, go for the uh, cruiserweight belt once in a while. But he can do his own thing. It just limits the match potential. Like, you know, the fact that we're finally getting Brock Lesnar versus Samoa Joe is kind of a joke because now I think it's going to be tainted by Brock Lesnar's waves in the ring, where beforehand this is a dream match when they were both, like, you know, in their prime and the two big mean guys on both respected brands of TNA and, and uh, uh, WWE. So it, it's going to be interesting. But we need to go and get into uh, Raw. Raw, follow-up show from uh, the Extreme, show, uh, Extreme Rules show the night before. All right, so the show opened up with Bray Wyatt entering the ring with his fireflies in the audience, promising to extract revenge against each one in the final fight. Oh, damn it, I screwed up already. One of his fatal five-way opponents from last night, man, started with Roman Reigns. Reigns interrupted and punched him in the face, leading to a match, weird, between Roman Reigns and Bray Wyatt. It was a really good lengthy match. I think they gave him, like, almost 20 minutes to run around the ring. Um, 
and Reigns ends up defeating Bray Wyatt, but they had like a lot of like uh, misfires, you know, as far as like a couple of Superman punches. Um, Bray Wyatt, I think, went for the uh, Strabagale at least twice. Uh, just they they have good chemistry uh, with each other for sure, and I, I enjoyed the match. Um, man, Roman, he can get booed, he can get he can get completely decimated, but he's just. It's like it's not bothering him. He's not even, like, listening to that, and it's making him look that much more like a badass. Uh, how did you feel about the segment and Roman Reigns? And do you feel like they're, they're, they're burying Bray Wyatt, or is he unburyable, if that makes sense, Chris? I think the WWE just assumes that Bray Wyatt will always be over because the people that like his promos will always like Bray Wyatt. So I don't think they worry too much about him losing matches, which is sad because wins are important. I've been over it like a gazillion times on the show, so I'm not going to bring it down. He did get a win against um, Randy Orton, but it, I mean, it was kind of tainted, you know, I mean, because you brought Jinder Mahal, who's a, not, I mean, this is not me crapping on Jinder once again, but I don't think he's considered the same star level as Bray Wyatt or Randy Orton, at least not at this point. Maybe he will be. Maybe he's getting there. I don't know. We'll know six months down the line, but it, it's, um, I think it's that theory that, you know, Bray Wyatt, we've made Bray Wyatt lose to pretty much everyone, and he's still over, and people still buy his shit, and people still like his promos. So I don't think that they're worried about him losing, which I think's not great, but it's it's working for him. I mean, I think I think Bray does a good enough job in the ring that he's still believable. Like, a lot of people still believe that he might get that surprise win especially coming off like gender winning and then even Samoa Joe to some extent winning that match. I, I mean, I know that we, we talked about it and I think he was second on both of our people that we thought might win. I think I had Rollins first and then Joe second as a surprise. Just to yeah, that yeah, match. I, but, I, I think I had Balor first and I had Joe second. So it's, you know, I, he, he definitely wasn't, I don't think he was, a, he was a majority of people. He wasn't a majority of people's first picks going into that. So, you know, maybe they're going to start doing that more, and I think that helps. And it does help that they have this big main event uh, scene because if one person loses to another person and, and they just constantly are switching these matches up, then it might be all right. Um, I just hope they don't start just doing tag matches again. Uh, as far as Roman Reigns, you said earlier that, like, you're becoming a Roman Reigns fan, and I – honestly, he got so much juice off that – off beating The Undertaker – that it's given him like I, I think it's given him a new level of confidence or something. He's like, hey, I beat the Undertaker at WrestleMania, so whatever the hell people say about me at this point <laughs> is irrelevant. Because he's got like a little bit more swagger to him, and I, I know it's not. I mean, it's not that he's gotten more heat or he's more over because he beat Taker. I think that just confidence level that that maybe that level of respect that the Undertaker would actually put him over. He's he's stepped his game up. He's doing more in the ring. Um, and whoever's doing WWE segments on Raw, I think they did a really good job with this opening segment leading into the match, as well as uh, uh, one of the upcoming segments. It's probably some of the better segments I've seen on Raw in a long time. So, I mean, that's all helpful stuff, too. That and the way he played off in, the, uh, in that five-way match of just being um, like, all right, you guys can kick each other's ass because I'm just going to stand here, and as soon as you get in the ring, I'm going to fuck you up and fearing people through barricades and stuff. Like, that's the kind of stuff he should be doing. Um, I wish Michael Hayes had his hands in it a little bit more because they did this build uh, of Mark Henry as being this absolute monster. Um, but between Taker and uh, the work that Roman's done with Braun, he's got a little bit of swagger about him right now. 
that I think is, is making me want to be a fan of his, you know, making me care more about him and obviously making you care more about him. So that was good. And like I said, the match was really enjoyable. Um, they gave them plenty of time to work. And for once, I wasn't disappointed by a 20-minute segment because Roman Reigns came out, punched him in the mouth, beat him in the match, and that was the end of it. And I didn't have to watch, like, someone talk for 20 fucking minutes. So I really enjoyed the opening of Raw. Yeah, me too. And I, I kind of <laughs> – I want him to, like – and people will just fucking go absolutely nuts in probably the worst way, which would be awesome. I want all of a sudden, like, you know um, – American badass to hit, and him to come out on a fucking motorcycle. It's that big evil. It says like big dog on his fucking thing. He's got the bandana, everything, just to piss everyone off. Then he gets in the ring and be like, I don't even know why the hell I did that. Screw the Undertaker. He pisses on it, and then he punches every fan in the face um, around the arena, and then he goes up and for some reason just destroys Michael Cole. Uh, uh, all right, I'm, I'm done with this fantasy booking. It's they went to hell. All right, let's go to no, some I mean, segments. All, all, all seriousness, though, we've talked about it before, but if he just started to incorporate a few of Undertaker's moves, even if it's like Hell's Gate or uh, old school yes. walking the top rope something, I think that just gives him one more move in his arsenal at, from, for a guy that needs like a couple of additional moves. Two moves that aren't super hard, I, I, I don't think would be super hard for an athlete of his stature to accomplish but two moves that would remind people that he beat the Undertaker. And then they don't just have to constantly do it on commentating because he's showing in the ring, like, hey, I beat this guy, and I took his fucking move. What up? Well, I mean, not only that, they can incorporate it. I would would think that maybe I I would love to see him do it, but I don't know if Roman could. But I'm going to assume, all right, he's talking to Undertaker. He's like, Taker, I'm not not asking for Tombstone or, or old school. And everyone does a choke slam. But do you mind if I do the last ride? Do you mind if I do Hell's Gate? I could use those two moves. I need a new power move, you know, for the end of it. I can do my running thing and then kind of make it into it, which is what I thought he was going to do to Bray Wyatt. Didn't happen. That's all right. Um, God, that would be nasty if there was like if he could somehow pull off a running last ride. Anyways, just something like that to like just give him some oomph, you know, some 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 different things, some different qualities. He doesn't have a submission, so the Hell's Gate would be great. Um, who knows? I mean, he could do it literally like Bray did the, 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 the DDT, exactly like Jake does it. You know, we, we saw Kevin Owens try to attempt a stunner. I think Steve showed him the right way to do it about locking the jaw and whatever. Funny-ass interview if you guys haven't seen that. Um, so, I mean, these tributes to the, the, the bigger guys, I, I think it's cool. I mean, it's just like if I saw Finn Balor do the fucking um, the sharpshooter, I'd be like, hell yeah, it's a little dog to sting. That's fun. I think stuff like that's fun. So if he could do that, he only he literally has like four fucking moves. He's a good in-ring worker, but he has like four moves, and that's it. Anyways, let's keep on moving. All right, so backstage, uh, interview bot interviewed Enzo Amore and Big Cass. Amore said he had no idea who has been beating him up, and Cass said it was insulting that people thought it was him and that he would be watching Amore's back at all times to make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, which you're supposed to be doing that in a tag match anyways, but whatever. Alexa Bliss pitched another This Is Your Life segment to Kurt Angle. I love this and hate it at the same time. Dedicated to yourself. This is my life. Angle said last week's This Is Your Life segment was one of the worst segments in the history of Raw and then told her she would defend her Raw Women's Championship against Nia Jax later in the show. 
um, and have a worse match with that one than the one previous on the fucking pay-per-view, but whatever. And then in the ring, Elias Sanson played a song about how much he didn't like Wakes Bear, Pennsylvania. Dean Ambrose came, or came down and beat up Samson and then demanded an Intercontinental Championship rematch against The Miz. The Miz appeared on screen and told Ambrose there would be no rematch tonight. Uh, and then Samson hit Ambrose with the swinging net breaker, which looks really good, by the way. Following this, Ambrose was told by Kurt Angle to leave the building and take the night off. All right, those I got a three question. segments. I got a question. On, I got a question on the uh, Samson neckbreaker. Is that Cody? Ro- or is that is that the crossroads? Is that was? Is that his old finisher? I, I believe so. Yes. Someone said okay. that on one of the I, things I was watching. Okay, I was just curious because I I, I kind of remembered Cody Rhodes doing that, but when he went to uh, Stardust, it's not like he ever really got his finisher off on Raw. So it's been a while since I saw it. Um, and I'm not sure if he's still using that as a finish. I don't. I would have to look it up. Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. So starting out, I guess Charlie Charlie Caruso interviewed Enzo Amore and Big Cass, and basically Big Cass, yeah, <laughs> announcer bot 2.0 interviewed interviewed them, and yeah, I don't. I I mean I understand that like. I don't know how they're playing this. They, they've they done a good job at making me wonder who the hell is attacking Enzo Amore because, like, everyone should hate Enzo Amore. He's, like, the most heel good guy in the company. <laughs> like, um, I mean, like, he's constantly crapping on everyone. So it's like, you know, he would. there's a lot of people who would want to kick his ass. So at least from a storyline standpoint, it, it makes sense. Uh, casting is going to watch his back. Uh, I, I think – it came off as like, I'm going to watch his back in the tag match because they were talking about the tag match, but I think he just meant in general. So I kind of just let it go, but I agree with you. It's like, or is he talking about the tag match? Cause he's talking about the tag match. That's kind of his job as, as a tag team partner. Um, the phone thing. I am. I hate immediately. Like one, because I'm pretty sure it's going to be Stephanie McMahon. And unless it leads to a Triple H Kurt Angle match, I could give two shits less about Stephanie McMahon. Um, as far as the segment with Alexa Bliss, I'm glad that they at least acknowledged, at least the writers acknowledged how bad they flopped on that segment that we buried so hard last week um, because it was terrible. And it was funny to hear Kurt, you know, basically tell her, hey, that was terrible. I wonder if he got a text after that saying, good job. Please don't let her ever do that again because that would have been well-deserved. Um, Ambrose get, uh, attacking Samson and then Miz interrupting him and Samson hitting his move. I think it's good because it, it makes it's building heat between Samson and Ambrose, which is where I think they're going to go. Miz is probably going to retain that title uh, for a little bit because he gives prestige to it. Now, I don't know who Miz is going to face once Samson and Ambrose starts feuding. That's going to be kind of weird unless they're going to, you know, move Austin Aries out against the Miz. Whoever the Miz goes against has got to be able to talk on the mic. So maybe uh, maybe Seth Rollins or maybe Finn Balor. I hope it's not Finn Balor because I, I feel like it. Not that the Miz is a downgrade, but it's he just came off that big match, and it would be nice to see him uh, going against like Roman Reigns or somebody um, for a bit. But we'll, we'll see. I really thought they were going to go Bray versus Finn right off the bat uh, with the way that they kind of set up that match with Joe and uh, Joe and Bray Wyatt. 
teaming on him with the chair and doing the double sentons and kind of just beating him up in general and tag teaming him. So uh, everything's kind of up in the air. I don't know if they even know yet. Uh, man, I think I hit all the segments, right? And besides Engel kicking Ambrose out. That was it. I thought it was funny that Ambrose yeah. said he was going to drink some cucumber water. That was hilarious. That line had me cracking up. Oh, I'm just I'm just gonna go in there and just have to, I'm sure he has some really good cucumber water. <laughs> All right, you ready to go to the probably the best segment of the night and probably the one of the best segments this year? Samoa Joe came to the I mean, ring to discuss his victory at Extreme Rules last night and his upcoming WWE Universal Championship match against Brock Lesnar at Great Balls of Fire. He said that he wanted everything that Brock Lesnar had. He wanted his comfy schedule. He said he wanted Paul Heyman as his advocate to go and do his errands. He said he wanted his, his pay raise. Great great stuff. Just, just a great monologue. He was interrupted by Paul Heyman, who said that Lesnar doesn't fear Joe, but he could tell that Joe also doesn't fear Lesnar, and that's the reason why if, Bray, or if, uh, if Finn Balor was the best-case scenario... Joe would be the worst-case scenario for Lester's potential opponents because he knows Joe will take a piece of Lester with him, whether he loses or not. And Joe, disappointed Lester didn't show up after shaking hands with Heyman, you know, came up off mic. You see that everyone around in the arena sees that he's whispering to him and Paul Heyman's, you know, cowering more and more. But as does the audience at home, we get a different thing where we're hearing him say, like, it was so creepy. It was like just serial killer shit. Like, you're, you're going to feel some pain soon. And he's explaining to him, he's like, I'm going to choke you unconscious, but I want you to give a message to Brock Lesnar. I'm very mad that he didn't come here. And he starts choking him out. And literally, for some reason, not as good as Finn Balor, Paul Heyman could take that better than fucking Seth Rollins can for making it look like he actually passed him out. Uh, backstage, Kurt Angle was confronted by, or confronted Smojo, who they got in each other's face. God, I wish are they not allow. I, I, I don't expect you to take over right now, but uh, are they not allowed to reference the fact that these guys have such a huge past with each other? Uh, but anyways, he threatens him. He says, are you going to do something about it? Kurt's about to say something. Seth Rollins steps in and challenges him to a match at the end of the show. How did you feel about this whole segment and then the backstage segment? Uh, I thought – that Samoa Joe cut an awesome promo even before Paul Heyman came down to the ring. Uh, I thought him just stating facts basically about Lesnar's contracts and in a kayfabe manner, but just Lesnar in general, I thought it was very similar to uh, John Cena when John Cena was kind of shooting on the rock for not being the guy that's there, not being the champion. But then Joe turned it and said, I want that, which I thought was really interesting and kind of a neat uh, concept as Joe being like, you know, I want this monster's entire gimmick. I'm not, I'm not cool with just beating him. I want to take Paul Heyman. Like, I want the title. I want the contract. I want the lax schedule. He's like, I don't want to be here every night, essentially. <laughs> um, Heyman came out, like you said. I like he referenced, you know, he, he, ref- he basically said the reason that he put Finn Balor over as wanting to see that match is because he considered him Rocky versus Apollo Creed. So he basically assumed that he was going to get beat. Like at the beginning of Rocky, when Apollo Creed says, there's, you know, there's no way this guy's going to beat me. It's a good story. 
we'll put him up, but we still know that I'm going to walk out champion. So I appreciated that. Uh, I guess, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming everyone has seen Rocky. So <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah. That didn't really work out that well <laughs> for Apollo Creed because it set up a rematch and Apollo Creed lost and you know, on down the line, whatever. So they can still do the Rocky story if they want, and maybe they'll reference it again. Um, and I did like that. So it's like you're the worst. Is Samoa Joe Kubler Lang? Is what you're saying? Yeah, essentially, Samoa Joe is basically the Joe Frazier to Brock Lesnar's Muhammad Ali, it, and that's kind of a little bit outside of the talk about story. Joe Frazier. <laughs> but basically, they were like, I mean, it basically put Samoa Joe as being, you know being some smoking Joe, essentially someone that he actually has to fear major competition, as opposed to, uh, to Balor who was, while it would be a cool story, it's not like he would actually be scared that Brock would lose. So I thought that worked really well. I did like, I hope they don't start doing this all the time because it works so well, but I did like that. He dropped the mic and took him into the corner and did give him basically a serial killer talk. And I hope that, the fans that were in the arena can see that and maybe we get the Joe's going to kill you chance again. And they really build up this killer Samoa Joe, Ugh. the character that was loved in, in TNA and in ring of honor. The uh, Joe is gonna kill you. Cause if so, they're building it right because they need to make Samoa Joe look like a legitimate killer. If anyone's to believe that he has a chance against Brock Lesnar. Um, and hopes hopes and dreams is that he actually beats Brock. And whether or not Brock gets the title back later is irrelevant. You can set up Braun down the line. He's apparently out, like you said, I think until SummerSlam. There's tons of stuff you can do in between there. But even Joe versus Braun, if Joe's the guy that beat Brock Lesnar, then you have like a real, real legitimate reason why – that would intrigue Braun or make Braun want to fight him when he comes back because they can book Braun however they want coming off his injury. Um, but I think the big thing here is getting the title back on TV. And if they're going to go, I, I actually sent you that message. I was like, if they've been looking for a monster heel or a monster, someone that's a believable monster that isn't um, Braun Strowman who's injured or, or Brock Lesnar and can be on TV, Samoa Joe's their guy. So we'll see where it goes. I, I really love the angle. I think it was probably one of the best ones I've seen. I like that Heyman did a job for Joe and took the chokehold. Um, I hope that they don't always do that and just have everyone beating up Paul Heyman all the time because they'll get really old. Uh, but for the most part, you know, with Goldberg, Goldberg never beat him up. Or I think the few before that, John Cena didn't really beat him up that bad. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple other fears. But he did get speared. Um, by Roman Reigns, but they need to save that. You know, it doesn't need to happen every time. Um, or else, why the hell would Paul Heyman ever get into the ring? You know, that kind of yeah. thing. So, uh, Engel yelling at Joe, what's wrong with you? I thought that was fine, but like like you said, it's, you know, most wrestling fans know the history between Kurt Engel and Samoa Joe. And they can't play into it because of the, I guess, the way the TNA contracts and everything shake up. And they're, like I said, they're walking a fine line right now with so many of these guys, so many of these talents that they just can't talk about. Um, but I, I thought it was okay. I thought Seth's kind of dumb to walk up and uh, try to piss off Samoa Joe, especially after he barely won their last match. I mean, he was getting choked out and got a pinfall. And they should have really played that up. The commentators should have played up the fact that that might be super dumb because 
Yes, he beat Samoa Joe, but he didn't really beat Samoa Joe. So when Samoa Joe lost by that pinfall, I thought he should have still choked out Seth Rollins a while back, especially if this is where they were building to. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm rambling at this point, but let's continue on. Well, yeah, I guess that Corey Graves was for one minute not paying attention while Michael Cole and Booker T were looking at their feet or whatever the fuck. So no one was able to, like, commentate on that. Uh, no offense to Booker T and Michael Cole, but I feel like Corey saves half the shit whenever the fuck he's commentating by, like, just saying stuff, basically stuff that you're saying. So maybe maybe he was uh, trying to figure out this whole entire Kurt Angle thing. Um, we'll get back to that in a little while. All right, so Seamus and Cesaro defeated Heath Slater and Rhino. Man, Jesus. When's, uh, if I was Rhino at this point, like, would I even want to be around? I guess so, because he gets paid, but it's like... He's got a family. He's in politics. So he's constantly on the go. He got paid to come in the arena, get in his gear, and get knocked at, down almost immediately. Uh, so Seamus pinned Slater following a broke kick. After the match, Seamus and Sarah ran down the Hardy Boys. All right, so backstage, TJP confronted Neville and demanded his cruiserweight title shot. Neville said if he beat Ali or Mustafa Ali, he would talk to Kurt Angle to arrange it. So TJP defeated Mustafa Ali. Really like uh, Mustafa Ali, too, by the way. Uh, TJP blocked Ali's inverted 450 splash and connected with a detonation kick for the win. Following the match, Neville came out and made it look like he had talked to Kurt Angle, but it wasn't going to work out. TJP went over to like be like, no, 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 we're both going to go talk to him, and then Neville beat the crap out of TJP, informing him he'd get his title shot at 205 live tomorrow night, which was last night, and I have no idea who actually won that. Um, and then we got a gold dust promo. Um, so, starting with Seamus and Cesaro and going down, so how did you feel? I thought their promo was, was okay. The match itself was pretty much a nothing match, like you said. Uh, it just all it did is reiterate the fact that um, Cesaro is fully willing to be a heel at this point. Cause I mean, he basically pulled off a ride over the apron. Slater couldn't get the hot tag, got kicked in the face. And that was the end of that match. So, I mean, it, it's fine. It's just, they don't have a lot in the tag division on raw right now. So they're, they got to be careful with who they're just putting losses on. I, maybe they're just done with Rhino and Heath um, Slater at this point, but I thought they had a hey, good thing going. It's kind of weird. Question, they let me interject real quick. Who do you think it sucks more for in that situation? Rhino, who's had a pretty big career, but it's like he gets a lot now, gets smacked around like a little bitch towards the end of it. Or Heath Slater, who gets to watch the two guys that were in three-man band go on to succeed. One's the fucking champion, and the other one's, like, rising the ranks in NXT. Uh, who, who does that suck more for between Heath Slater and Rhino? Honestly, I, I probably Heath Slater, but you know, I don't. I'm not the guy that thinks Drew McIntyre like Drew McIntyre is ever going to be over on the main roster. I just don't. It didn't work the first time. I don't think it's going to work the second time. He hasn't changed enough. I mean, it's not like he went off to Impact and suddenly became super charismatic and someone that I care about. Now I, I get that people like him and a lot of internet fans like him, but internet fans are the people that watch NXT 
I mean, those are the people that are going to be diehards and watch NXT and Impact and, and some of the stuff that he did in the UK. I just So from that standpoint, I think Keith Slater is probably going to have a bigger run in WWE than Drew McIntyre will ever have, but we'll see. Sorry for cutting you off. Uh, How did you feel about the TJP Mustafa, or Mustafa Ali match and everything with Neville? I thought the Neville stuff was pretty good. Um, of course, Neville doesn't want to defend his title. Why would he want to defend his title unless he absolutely has to? But the way that they've built Neville is that, yes, he can defend it. He just doesn't necessarily want to. Um, he kind of just wants TJP under wraps. So they're doing a good job. It's just the weird thing is, is like, who are you supposed to root for? Because TJ Perkins, you know, he sold out and was helping Neville for two months at this point. So it's like, are you going to feel sorry for him because Neville's screwing him over now? Because it's kind of hard to to buy that. So uh, the the match itself was a three minute match. It was fine. Um, TJP still kind of was wrestling a heel style in the match, which was a little bit weird. And then he got, I mean, he took the beat down. I thought it was kind of funny that Neville basically was lying and said, hey, I already talked to Kurt, and he said it's not going to happen. Sorry, man. And then TJP was like, obviously, like, hey, well, let's just go talk to him together. And then he, he uh, Neville attacked him. So Neville's obviously already an established heel. I think it would have made more sense for uh, TJP to do the beat down here. But, yeah. I agree. All right, so let's keep on going. <laughs> After this backstage, Alexa Bliss tried to convince Sasha Banks, Dana Brooke, and Mickey James to unite with her to defeat Nia Jax. And Sasha left immediately. The other two, she was like, it doesn't suck that you guys don't have a title shot, but she does. And they were like, this is your battle. Here's someone to feel worse for than uh, Heath Slater, and that's Mickey James. Jesus, they're underutilizing her. Anyways, uh, Kurt Angle pulled Corey Graves out of the broadcast booth to show him more mysterious texts. Backstage, he... he was asked what the texts were about, and he said it was a private matter before leaving the building. Somehow, because he was so infused with his phone, he didn't notice that Teen Ambrose snuck back in. And also the Revival were spotted in the background of that segment, if anyone did not know that. Um, shortly after the commercials, Callisto defeated Titus O'Neil. Funny-ass match. O'Neil's trying to show uh, Apollo how to do things. He uh, rolls up Callisto, pulls the tights up, Callisto reverses it, pulls his tights up, and wins the match. Afterwards, Apollo is very happy with everything. And the last segment that we'll go over on this run is Big Cass was just backstage. Wait, what? Was it a revival? Was it Kurt Angle? Was it Mickey James? We'll find out. But uh, when Enzo finds him, Cass says uh, nothing but hands him a metal chain necklace, presumably taken from the attacker. Afterwards... He explains, Big Cash, you get better. I'm going to get another tag partner. I'll figure out our match. That was not me. Obviously, they grabbed that necklace beforehand when they attacked me. All right, uh, out, of these, out of these segments going down, Seth. Man, we all started out so awesome, and then it got so slow and so terrible. Uh-huh. <laughs> the Kalisto match. I mean that was it was a one minute match. It just furthers that feud. It's fine. Uh, the Miz Maurice stuff backstage, getting ready, that was okay. Um, I thought it was funny that Miz just kind of looked over at Castle, like the fuck's wrong with this guy, and just walked off. 
which was pretty great. Uh, it was very subtle, but very Miz. So I appreciated that. And then uh, it kind of just makes me, it just kind of makes you suspect that Cass is faking. Uh, and like I said, it's good from the story. It's good for a storyline because I mean, it could still just be the revival uh, and that could be fine, but at least you can put some tension between Cass and Enzo at this point, maybe. So we'll see. I would think that you would know if Enzo was attacking you because he's like, it would take a fuckload for him to take you down unless he's swinging like a hatchet or something. <laughs> I mean, Big Cass is massive, so. And doing um, a stupid dance he does. Yeah. The chicken dance or whatever it is. I think that's pretty cool, oh, man. Wow. I, hit, I hit that in the club all the time. Uh, so I, I think that. I hit all those things. <laughs> yeah, I think I hit all those all things. Right. All right, we we have my favorite segment of the night, um, besides my favorite segment of the night, so I shouldn't say that. Um, but uh, the Miz and Maurice threw an Intercontinental Championship celebration in the ring, complete with champagne, balloons, and someone in a bear costume holding a congratulations sign. So they were, they were you know, enjoying themselves, and then Miz said, I think it was a really good idea with the bear, and Maurice is like, the bear? I did not, I did not get the bear. And the Miz is like, you didn't get the bear. I didn't get the bear. Just for five minutes, Miz looks at the bear and then beats the living shit out of him, pulls off the head, Scooby-Doo style, finds out some kid, and says, says, well, at least you can tell your friends you got your ass kicked by the Miz, and throws him out of the ring. Uh, then a giant box was wheeled down to ringside. Miz, not listening to Maurice, beats the living shit out of the box, starts hitting with a chair, knocks it over. Maurice is yelling at him. Finally, she gets a hold of him when he pulls out part of a broken grandfather clock, which are extremely expensive, by the way. Um, and she was like, he was timeless, like you. And then she fucking gets all pissed, runs out. They did it great because I had no idea, and I don't think many people did, that the camera guy that was in the ring was actually Dean Ambrose. Puts down the camera uh, and goes and beats the shit out of him, puts, puts him in the dirty deeds, and then takes the bottle of champagne and starts chugging it and leaves. I'm going to assume, and I don't know this for a fact, that he was not told to do that, that he just did that, and afterwards, like, it's like, you're not allowed to do that. But who knows? I, I, I don't know if, if they allow uh, Stone Cold to, like, throw down the brewskis anymore. I don't know what the fuck the PG era did to modern wrestling sometimes. But um, how did you like this segment, Chris? I thought this segment was amazing. I mean, as soon as it happened, I was like, dude, the Bears, Dean Ambrose. It's got to be Dean Ambrose in the Bears suit. And they swerved me, and I appreciate that. And the segment was was fine, and I really enjoyed <laughs> Maurice saying it was timeless, like you. <laughs> <laughs> and then her run up the ramp <laughs> was the most legendary thing ever. <laughs> because she had, like stilettos on and she's trying to truck up this ramp at an angle <laughs> and running away slowly. There needs to be a gif of this. I guarantee you I gotta I gotta Google it later. I'll try to post it up on the page, but it was fucking hilarious. And uh then of course Dean Ambrose and the Dirty D's takes the champagne, drinking it on the way back. I, I thought it was a cool, cool ass thing for Dean Ambrose to do, especially because he's known to drink, um, even from total uh, Bellas and all that stuff. So I thought overall it was a really cool segment. All right. Well, let's go to the match that we've all been waiting for. Enzo comes out, does his thing. Very un- very noticeable is the lack of big cast. Uh, he just said that, oh, no, don't worry, Carl, or Gallows and Anderson. 
before we bury you guys, even though you're one of the best fucking tag teams uh, over in New Japan, I got someone that's going to help me bury you. Well, it's a big show. Big show comes out. He's a replacement for Big Cass. Uh, they have this thing back and forth. And you really think that, you know, Big Cass, or he, basically, I thought the Big Show was about to beat the shit out of Enzo. Nope, doesn't happen. Big Show actually cuts Big Cass's promo with the fake New York accent or jersey, whatever. Tomato, tamale. Um, show and, and Enzo score the pinfall victory after. <laughs> shoot. Show throws Enzo more, and it goes to Enzo. It was actually pretty funny. He's like, wait, wait, you're not supposed to do it like that. And he just tossed him into Anderson. They get the three count. Backstage, Big Cass accused the Big Show of being the attacker. Show denied it. I did not realize how big Big Cass was until I saw him next to Big Show, by the way. My Lord, he's a pretty big fucking dude. I mean, I know he's seven feet tall, and he's dumb, 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 uh, whatever the fuck the thing is. I don't remember. Um, then we had an R-Truth uh, pr- uh, promo. All right, I like the Goldust one. R-Truth one, I think he said the exact same fucking thing he said beforehand. Uh, so not that big of a deal or anything like that, but I'm just saying kind of didn't really do anything for me. And then um, Alexa Bliss accused the Raw's women division, and my computer is now freezing. Oh, great. All right, uh, accused Raw's women's division of having no pride and just being jealous of her. She proclaimed that on the way to go into the ring for her championship match. So, um, how did you how did you like uh, Big Show and Enzo? Oh man, Big Show and Enzo. I I, I would have been fine with this if Show just came down to the ring and helped them instead of doing like the cast gimmick with the fake accent. It was insufferable. As someone that's lived in Jersey, it was terrible. Um. A flex of bliss versus Nia Jax. Like, I know that they set this angle up earlier, but it just makes Mickey James and and uh, Dana Brooke look stupid. And then they immediately got fucking buried by Nia Jax, so that makes them look even stupider. Um, I don't have any interest in Nia Jax versus Alexa Bliss, mostly because it's like the most unbelievable match that they could possibly book. Unless they give Alexa Bliss brass ducks or something, there's no way that she would realistically ever even have a shot against uh, Nia Jax. So I just I have no interest in this match. And also, I just have no interest in Nia Jax at this point. Um, for, for many reasons stated, anyone can go back and listen to the old podcast. I just don't think she's ready to be a champion. And uh, she should have stuck in NXT a little bit longer and maybe worked with Asuka and a few of the other uh, female wrestlers there. And then did we already talk, did we talk about the Heyman segment? Did you comment on that? It's uh, coming up. Okay. All right. I think I hit everything else then. Well, I have a really uh, shitty issue, Chris. What's that? My sorry? internet's down. Okay. I got you. Um, uh, so I, I know the rest of this card, but I'll need your help for SmackDown basically. I don't sure, know what the I can hell go is going on. Uh, they showed uh, they showed Heyman being tended to backstage by a medic. Heyman's phone rang. It came up Brock, so he immediately answered it. Um, Heyman looked like he'd been crying, very sad. He said he was glad. Uh, he said he was glad he asked that question, um, basically in reference to whatever Lesnar had said on the phone. He told Lesnar to instill fear in Joe that Joe 
says he to instill the fear in Joe that Joe says he doesn't have. Told him to show up on Raw next week, and it's time they unleash the beast. He hung up on Brock and threw the phone aside. He didn't throw it like throw it like across the room or anything, but he just like tossed it. And then uh, that sets up the match between Samoa Joe and Seth Rollins from earlier. Um, Joe kind of dominated the beginning of the match. Then it was uh, they went to a commercial break. Joe continued his beat down, and then Seth made his comeback. Uh, he hit like a running senton, got a pin, and then basically there was another. I guess I guess the show overran. I think there was a commercial break here. Uh, Rollins hit a blockbuster. He did a dive. He did another dive, and then he did another dive, which I thought was hilarious because I thought he was just poking fun at Randy Orton or something. Like it seemed pretty damn funny because he hit a dive on each side of the ring. I don't know if anyone noticed that, but he hit one on the front camera side the stage side, and then the uh, audience-facing uh, camera side, which was pretty funny. And then Rollins, uh, Rollins from there, he hit the Falcon Arrow, which was kind of impressive. The, they, they really sold it on the announce booth as it being a big deal to lift up Samojo. And then um, Bray's music played for absolutely no reason because he got his ass kicked by Roman Reigns earlier, and then uh, Joe just choked him out. Uh, I I just kind of felt like Bray's music here wasn't necessary, and they should have just got gave uh, Samoa Joe a clean win over Seth Rollins, uh, and then maybe had an attack if they wanted to do Bray. They could have just had him attack R- Rollins after the match with you know Samoa Joe just walking out. But that's that was my only issue with it. How'd you feel, Dane? Well, I'm going to admit, I think it doesn't really matter because I could care less about talking about the match, but uh, the women's match that was before that. Between, Did you mention that with Nia Jax and uh, Alexa Bliss? Yeah, you passed that one to me before uh, your internet went down. Oh, I apologize. I was talking about the promo beforehand, but um, yeah, that doesn't really matter. I thought that was a stupid match, really short. I think Nia Jax kind of got fucked over. I think actually, yeah, you're right. You did comment on that. I'm sorry. My my computer going down is like making my brain go. But anyways, um, last match was really good. Liked a lot of the spots. Smojo looked like a beast. I liked the big FU, like you were saying, to Randy Orton from Seth Rollins via dive, dive, dive again. Um, I noticed that he still hasn't gone for that one finisher because every time he does, he gets a reverse. So I don't really know what's going on with the uh, the knee rainmaker, knee maker. Kingslayer, whatever the fuck you want to call it. But I um, thought the match was good, and then they kind of ended it weird, but that's WWE, so what do you really expect? And uh, that's it. Yep. So, I mean, that pretty much takes us into SmackDown. Overall, man, I thought this was a really good Raw. There were some bad, shitty segments, but there was also some of the best segments I've seen on Raw in a long time, and Me there too. was two really good matches. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bitch about this Raw like I normally do. I actually enjoyed it. All right, I agree. I completely agree. And that takes us into uh, SmackDown, which opened up with a recap of the uh, Money in the Bank announcement by Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon's music hits. He runs down to the ring, does his gimmick, a little boxing dance um they uh they didn't say that they were in rochester new york but they were in rochester new york just heads up for everyone if they were curious on where this was at uh the five women in the money in the bank match charlotte becky lynch carmella 
Natalia and Tamina were already in the ring. They basically got the uh, jobber entrance <laughs> to cut for time, I guess, with a big table along with James <laughs> Ellsworth. Phillips called it a milestone moment in the women's division. JBL said Shane pulled a rabbit out of his hat with this match. Shane welcomed fans to SmackDown Live. He asked, what's up, Rochester? So just in case anyone missed it, they're in Rochester. Um, he introduced each of the women with requisite uh, compliments. So basically he just complimented each person. Um, he then asked for a drum roll because he had a reveal, and he showed off the new women's Money in the Bank, bank briefcase after it was lowered from the rafters. He said the winner will be guaranteed a women's title shot anytime, any place that she wants. He said history shows that it's almost guaranteed um, as a champion to become the champion once you win the Money in the Bank. Um, Ellsworth interrupted Shane, says he doesn't need to explain how Money in the Bank works. Duh, he said basically, and then Carmella said she'll be the last chick left looking down at the floor. The princess is Staten Island. Charlotte told her to pipe down. Charlotte said that she, the queen had something to say. They went back and forth. Uh, Natalia said she couldn't stand it, uh, stand to hear one more woo and uh, for her to basically stop ripping off her father. And then they just kind of all went back and forth. Lynch said something that didn't mean anything at all. Basically just said the same thing that about Natalia that Charlotte or Natalia had said about Charlotte. So they're just going to continue to play that up with Becky Lynch where she buries them both for having uh, a family lineage in wrestling. Uh, Naomi uh, took a ring entrance. She came out to the ring, basically uh, said she loves being champion, but she wishes that she could be in the match, uh, which is weird. Like why the fuck would she want to be in that match? Because she's the champion. That means five other people could win the title. Um, then she was interrupted by Lana, who was making her debut, I believe, back to the SmackDown, um, wearing a long, like, evening gown-type dress. Uh, Shane told Lana that she's in the land of opportunity, but this is not the time. She said, this isn't working for me right now, and I promise you what, uh, I promise you what works for me, I'll make work for you, which was weird. I didn't understand what she was basically saying. Um, Wanna ask Naomi, girl, why are you coming out here with foolishness? And then it's like, do you really think you can hang in a ladder match? You haven't had a singles match. Um, then basically it's set. I mean, it's setting. It set up a match. So it was like basically an all women bicker and fight match, uh, like whole opening segment. And this set up Naomi and Becky Lynch versus Charlotte, or Naomi, Becky Lynch, and Charlotte versus Natalia, Carmella, and Tamina. So if anyone wonders why Dane usually leads the show, this is the reason. <laughs> it's insufferable. <laughs> but that was the first match. So uh, how was your feelings of the first match in this segment? Uh, match was fine. Uh, you know, I you thought the opening me, segment was like, okay. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, it's, that's the thing. It's, there's nothing memorable. Uh, that's what usually happens when you do these fucking three-on-three three and don't have a lot planned out. I didn't really understand how, like, oh, all of them are going to talk shit about each other, and then they're going to be grouped still, and here are your baby faces on the left, and here are your heels on the right, obviously. And then the fact that Charlotte would get yelled at by Natalia, of all people, for stop ripping off your family, and then Becky says the exact same thing to her. Like, I didn't really, like, the cattiness kind of was dumb, they probably do a better job acting with that on Total Divas. Um, acting, like I said. Um, anyways, uh, I don't know. It just kind of was like the promo was dumb. 
I like that they're doing this. It is prestigious. My God, Lana looks great in um, everything. Uh, she's very, very attractive woman. Uh, let me ask you something, Chris, about her. You know, with Alicia Fox, I didn't know that she had much of a wrestling career like she did uh, beforehand. Has Does Lana have, or Maurice for that that that, uh, that matter, uh, does Lana have any type of wrestling experience? As far as I know, when Lana was signed into developmental, she, I don't know if she had any matches because I believe that she was already Rusev's manager or at least put with Rusev. So I don't think that she's ever wrestled a legitimate match. She has been in segments like when they were, when she was with Dolph Ziggler for a little bit, she's done some things in the ring and has, has attacked people, but I don't think I've ever seen her wrestle. So I'm assuming the time off that she took while Rusev was injured um, was down in developmental, kind of learning how how to, or at least learning that NXT style or the WWE style. Uh, to answer your question, I felt very similar about the uh, promo this, that the way you did. It was kind of like they were all heels because they were just bitching at each other, and then they all just like kind of crapped on Lana when she came out, which just made her seem sympathetic, in my opinion. But I, you know, what do I know? And then the match itself, like you said, it was. I mean, they cheated to get the win, so the the heels get a win again over the uh, over the good guys, which wouldn't be a so, problem except that they've done this, you know, over and over and over again with uh, Natalia, Carmella, and Tamina basically uh, beating up Naomi, Becky Lynch, and Charlotte. The only difference here is that Lana was at ringside and she helped them even further. No. So I don't, I don't. Chris, you want to know what the only only difference was? The right. real only difference is the fact that Tamina was allowed to talk this time, unlike the fucking last 60 times. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. <laughs> that is true. Uh, so, yeah, that was it. Um, they showed Shane backstage on a phone. Man, WWE is all about these phones. I hope they turn out to be the raw, anonymous GM. That they just like. I don't know if you were watching during that time, but they had a laptop that was like the general manager of Raw for a long time, and then they never followed up on it. So I'm what? hoping this new Kurt Angle phone thing. Yeah. That was a thing. <laughs> they had this big storyline built around the computer, and it had no payoff, and it lasted like a year. What the so hell is that, Mister Claw from fucking Inspector Gadget? Like, maybe maybe it was a uh, uh, Russo. That's who it was the whole entire well, time. It's it's actually Russo. That you want some hill heat? Bring out Russo. Um, so maybe Not that's Rusev, Vince Russo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Man, okay, so Shane was on the phone. He uh, walked up to the giant Andre trophy. Mojo Rawley walked in and told him that when he won it, it was the greatest moment in his life, which he didn't even really win it. Um, Gronkowski won it and then tossed a jobber. He tossed one jobber over the top rope, who is your heavyweight champion now, just in case anyone forgot how things went down at WrestleMania. Um, He said he's been a ghost on SmackDown. He basically wants a match. Um, And... I guess Mo, he's, he, he wants to remind him that he's the only person to beat the current champion, which is not true because he lost like 53 times. We keep scrolling down here. He said he wants to earn his way into the Money in the Bank match. Um, he said he's got to beat Jinder Mahal. Mojo Rawley smiled and thanked Shane McMahon. JBL, JBL called it a great opportunity, and then this just plugged the Nakamura versus uh, Kevin Owens and then right into an AJ Styles versus Dolph Ziggler match which is a follow-up from last week. 
Um, I fucking hated this because if you were going to give Dolph Ziggler a win, why didn't you just give him a win this week and let Styles go over in his hometown? Being from Atlanta, this pissed me off. You were live in the building, so I am curious to hear your thoughts on this. Dane, you might be on mute, man. I was on mute. Uh, what, what was your follow-up question to me? I'm sorry about that. I said you were live in the building last week. How do you feel about them giving Styles the win uh, last night as opposed to last week when he was in his hometown? Well, he shouldn't even gone against Dolph Ziggler at all next. That completely made Dolph the push that you gave him by beating AJ Styles clean in his hometown. Uh, just completely screwed it. Uh, just the next week by making him... Like, what the fuck was the point of that? Why, why do they have a series of matches? Why do we get the same fucking matches, whether it's three-on-three three or one-on-one on, one on SmackDown or Raw? I mean, I, do I sound like Jerry Seinfeld right now? But seriously, it's, it's, it's dumb. It, it makes absolutely no sense. I'm glad that he got the win, but what was the point of doing it beforehand? Did, do you agree with me? Like, I, I feel like it was, it was poor booking once again. I did. And the other, the other problem I had with this match is that both these guys are great workers, but they, uh, the, the match itself, I think, was under 10 minutes, and it had two commercial breaks in the middle of it that split it up. So it was basically half of that because of the way WWE does that. So you have a dive, then a commercial break, and then a dive, and then another commercial break. So it was a seven-minute match, and it, it wasn't either Ziggler or Styles' best work. So it, it just overall, it wasn't it wasn't as good as it could have been considering the two people that were in the ring. And I'm not even that huge of a Dolph Ziggler fan, but he's a good in ring wrestler. Um, how did you feel about the uh, Mojo Rawley uh, setup for the Jinder Mahal match? I think that was the one thing I uh, missed you talking about. Uh, tying in loose ends, I think it made sense. Uh, it was good to throw that in there because I guess figure out what the fuck you're gonna do with Mojo now afterwards because. Now that you got that whole thing taken care of, because it did make sense, you already beat Gender, you know, even with the uh, help of uh, of uh, Gronkowski, so it makes sense that he would be able to get a shot at him if he asked, because he's done doing weird videos with the kids and the uh, statue and shit. But um, who knows? I do like Mojo to an extent. I just don't think he's he's, he's vanilla kind of to me. Like he's a fun mid card guy. That's all I gotta say. I, I want to see the uh, the the bros back when Zack Ryder gets back. I think that would be the smartest thing to do with him. Honestly, I don't know if a singles run is gonna work out. I watched them on a dark match before the fucking show. There was Ty Dillinger, him, and Luke Harper. Luke Harper got the biggest pop. Ty Dillinger got the second biggest pop. He barely got a pop. I'm just saying. Which is a little rough because they're in New York, which is, I mean, he's from, he's, but he's from Long Island, right? So you would think that it would be a little bigger, but um, Jinder Mahal versus Mojo Raleigh. Nope, wait, we had some uh, fashion files. Fashion files happened. Um, Fandango walked up to Tyler Breeze. Said he took the bottle of the cologne to the boys in the lab, to only to find out there's no boys and no labs. So he tasted the cologne and left a really bad taste in his mouth. So it's not cologne's cologne. Breeze was confused, but then he said he got it. Then we heard Breeze, Breeze's thoughts, which they've been doing, which is pretty funny, which is, I don't get it. Uh, then we hear, heard Fandango's thought, I don't get it either, which basically means that they have no idea what's going on. <laughs> 
They went to the New Day, who entered the backstage locker room. Uh, they turned black and white. Biggie was fascinated by it. Brazingo tried to talk uh, to New Day with thoughts, but the New Day couldn't hear their thoughts. Biggie asked for an answer. Bree said, "Maybe that's not the way they communicate. Maybe they communicate with clapping." Kofi and Xavier Woods reached into Biggie's trunks, but not too far down, <laughs> and pulled out a gift. Um, Fandango told Biggie they don't take bribes; they're not that kind of cops. We're the fashion police, and we don't sell out. Breeze put out the get, uh, put on the gift, which appeared to be a romper. Uh, New Day asked them for a little bit of intel on their Money in the Bank opponents, the Usos. Breeze and Fandango handed them boxes of evidence. Brazingo tried to communicate with thoughts, but New Day le- looked confused. Kofi said, "I think they're doing that thing again." They took the boxes and left. Brazingo chanted in their heads, "New Case Rocks, New Case Rocks," and this led into the Jinder, Mahal, and Mojo Lolly match, which was followed up by a segment showing Nakamura back, uh, Nakamura's video package, um, New Day getting ready for their matches, and Renee Young interviewing Orton. Orton said last week that he had the honor after SmackDown Live of getting calls from some legends such as his father, Ric Flair, and Harley Race. So Ric Flair and Harley Race, he got some calls from some legends. Uh, oh. <laughs> They told him to let Jinder not to let Jinder run his mouth because in the end, actions speak louder than words. He said in two weeks in his hometown, he doesn't even need to say uh, one word, and Mahal is going to hear him just fine, which is good because the less Orton talks, the better. Um, then we had New Day versus the Cologne. So let's get into all of that, Dave. Uh, wow, that's a lot. All right, the Brazongo thing with the New Day was absolutely hysterical. I knew when you put the two of these guys or this, these groups together, it was going to be comedic gold. Everything was funny out of that. None of it was stupid. Like, even with the romper, the male romper, it's like, we're trying to keep up with the times. It was still funny and just made sense, especially when, like, Fandango was, like, so, like, disgusted by it. And then Tyler Breeze comes back and frame with it on. And he's like, dude, this works. And, like, all of them are happy. Oh, my God. So funny. Um Jinder Mahal defeating Mojo Raleigh. Didn't see that coming. Oh, the Singh brothers got involved. Weird. Anyways, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's whatever. Uh, Randy Orton talking to his dad and Harley Race, who I'm pretty sure has been in the hospital, um, not doing too well. So uh, hope Harley Race gets better. Um, I don't know how the hell he talked to him, but either way, whatever with that promo. I do think that Randy's good. Like, I, I, I kind of defend this every single time, but, like, me, my exposure to Randy uh, was, you know, when he first became a heel when he was in Evolution and then past that. I think he's good when he's being methodical and being a heel. When he's doing his baby face thing, he just looks lackadaisical and just boring. Um, so I care less. I, I don't really fucking care. So that there you go. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> uh, I I loved the uh, I, I loved these fashion files and New Day being in there just elevated it to a new level. They both played off each other really well. Um, I already said that I didn't like the Orton thing. Um, I don't like them calling Nakamura the fucking artist. Please, for the love of God, stop! And but it, they are saying the artist or um, Shinsuke Nakamura or what the fuck the artist Shinsuke Nakamura, the King of Strong Style. It's still there. So at least they're not cutting that out or some shit. Uh, uh. Just call him the artist formerly known as the strong style. 
at least make it fucking weird. Um, New Day versus the Colognes. The match itself, I thought was fine. Uh, it it was a decent match. The the Colognes, as always, did a good job putting over whoever they're putting over the week that they're wrestling. Uh, the best part of this match was Usos came out and they said, welcome to SmackDown Penitentiary. And then they asked Big E if his middle initial was his bra size. Then Jay told Xavier to look up and then look down and ask, what are those? Which is in reference to his shoes. Uh, they said, if they feel someone is coming up behind them, it's not paranoia. It's the Usos. And they left. So the Usos basically street buried the New Day, which I thought was pretty cool, kind of gives them – I mean, it played more than the they actually are. If you've watched uh, Up, Up, Down, Down when they've been on with Xavier Woods or if you've watched uh, Ride Along, the segments with the Usos, that's more of their personality. So hopefully they're letting them play into that personality because I think it's it's more fitting, especially against uh, kind of a goofy team in the New Day. Um, they showed uh, Kevin Owens taping his fist and then Dasha – he had an interview. Uh, Dasha interviewed Sammy, and that pretty much takes us to that main event segment. Uh, Corbin, you know, he just beat down Sammy again. I'm pretty sure. I think I missed the segment, but I'm pretty sure he just hit Sammy Zayn with a ladder, and that was kind of the end of that segment. And then, as always, yep. they made Sammy look like a goof. Uh, and then that was pretty much leading up to the Sinsuke Nakamura versus Kevin Owens match. So, how did you feel about those two matches and the one segment where Sammy got hit with a ladder? All right, so the New Day versus the Clones. Um, I, I just like I I, I like new, uh, the New Day. I, I like the that they had a pretty decent match, but the Usos really showed themselves afterwards. They probably cut their best promo so far as this version of the Usos. Um, I thought it was hilarious. Um, Sami Zayn thing. I'm kind of sick of like I said, one of my favorite in-ring wrestlers just getting beat down every fucking week with a concussion. It went from Braun Strowman, and now it's Baron Corbin because he's on SmackDown. Good transfer. Anyways, um, and just the uh, main event itself, um, Shinsuke Nakamura defeated uh, Kevin Owens. It was a good match. It just really makes Kevin Owens look like shit because he's now lost clean twice to, Sam, or to Shinsuke. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the thing here is, I, I'm surprised this wasn't a DK finish. I mean, it made Nakamura look good, so that was fine. But this was a 10-minute match, so they both neither of them really got got their shit. Anything in. And they had a weird, and then they had a weird commercial break as well. So I, I was kind of down on this match, which which is unfair to Owens and Nakamura because I've seen some of their I've seen dark matches of theirs that have been really really good. Um, Amazing. Nakamura just hasn't really stood out to me since he's been on SmackDown. So I'm hoping he's going to change that in this Money in the Bank um, ladder match, which it's not his fault. It's just the the way some of these matches have been booked and, and some of the time allotments that they've had, et cetera, on SmackDown. It's a shorter show than Raw, so there's less to work with. That was SmackDown. <laughs> so wow. pretty much this is just setting up Money in the Bank, which is two weeks out. Not this weekend, but next weekend. Um, there were a yep, lot of segments uh, on both shows. The only good segment on SmackDown was the Fashion Files. And then I guess if you count the Usos cutting that awesome promo on New Day, those were the two segment, or the two good segments on SmackDown. But the rest of SmackDown was – this is pretty much a show that you could skip. If you didn't watch SmackDown 
don't necessarily have to watch this, maybe look up the Usos uh, promo. And if you really love Nakamura and Owens, maybe look up this match, but it wasn't a great match. So that's how I felt about that show. I agree. Um, what the heck was I going to say? Well, that was basically SmackDown Raw and Extreme Rules, uh, WWE for this week. There's a lot of stuff that we had to cover. Didn't think it was going to take this long, but, you know, that's our shows for you. Sometimes it works a little bit differently, but uh, I guess in the next couple minutes, uh, I just want to thank you guys for uh, listening and uh, always come and, and, and hang out with us on Wrestling Geeks Alliance every Wednesday at 8 o'clock and over on the Geek Vibes Live uh, Blog Talk Radio Network. And definitely chill with us on the Geek Vibes Nation on Facebook. And, uh, you know, trying to find something to, like, you know, go out in, but I can't find it, so screw it. But, uh, Chris, thank you once again, like always, for being over. Thanks for helping me with my computer issues. Uh, tell everyone a little send-off. Sure. Uh, I was, it was a fun show. Um, a little weird there at the end with me reading in, uh, reading out <laughs> what happened, so uh, we apologize for that, technical difficulties. Uh, you want to see a cool match, out. Kushida versus Will Osprey, and then also check out the segment in which uh, Will, uh, not Will Osprey, but Kushida puts over Super Juniors in general, and and uh, that whole that whole match, the whole tournament, everything about it was great. So if you want to watch a cool match, check out uh, Kushida versus Will Osprey on New Japan World. And other than that, man, you guys have a great week, and make sure you check out Dane's other podcast this weekend for sure. Absolutely. Geek Vibes Live every Saturday at 8 o'clock. Wrestling Geeks Alliance every Wednesday at 8 o'clock. And uh, I think this theme will send us out, and it makes a little bit of sense because of uh, what happened. I want the Mojo beat. Thank you.